Spirit are out ahead of us preparing victory, preparing provision. So help us to know how we wait, intertwine ourselves, become more and more one with you in thought, deed, in action through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence here, that you know every person. You know the condition of their heart. You know the reasoning of why they're here, what they're struggling with, what the enemy has brought against them and what you have done for them. So I ask you to have a personal encounter with every person, a heart encounter that only you can have, taking the word of life. Open up doors of utterance that we might speak as we ought to. Give us ears to hear what you're saying, that you might teach us and guide us and influence us. I thank you that your anointing is here to bring healing and health and freedom and liberty to bind up brokenness in such a way that we never knew it was broken. We have a testimony of that healing of brokenness, not a testimony of the brokenness. And On the sidelight, we're better now, but truly a testimony that it never seems as if it was broken because you totally restored us to the expectation that you have brought into our life. So we thank you, God, for what you're doing in every heart and in every life. By your word and by your spirit, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Uh, we're just so thankful for dads and uh, what you're doing. Why don't you look at somebody next to you and say, by the authority of God's word, you are not my problem. Praise the Lord. If you believe that, you can be seated. Again, I want to welcome you. Men, just encourage you. I believe God has some tremendous, tremendous things to register for the men's conference coming up. Ask men to come. Uh, really, if you're able to, uh, sponsor them. If you have somebody who doesn't know God and, and uh, you know, or, or struggling in their life, uh, just go ahead and offer to, to sponsor them. Bring them. It's going to be, a, I believe, a dynamic time. Um, you know, we are, uh, as we celebrate Father's Day, as we really honor our fathers. Uh, we live in a culture today, I think I saw uh, uh, the other night that uh, uh, almost 15 million homes in our nation uh, don't have a male father figure in them. Almost 15 million. And so really, I, I believe even as we are beginning, we're going to have this conference and uh, we're working right now, actively working. We've met, uh, but by fall, really be getting our traction for men's ministry here. But it's really time uh, for believers, men who are followers of Jesus Christ, taking his example to rise up to be men of God, fathers of God, mentors in the things of God. And so uh, we, we're, we're going to launch that really with our men's conference. But uh, today is in Father's Day, just saying that uh, men, we honor you, men of God, fathers who are, are, are there for your, your kids and giving the attention that they need. We honor you. Uh, you know, uh, today I'm, I'm so blessed. Uh, you know, my, my dad's 91 years old. Many of you know uh, he had a, a battle with some things in the, the winter, and you prayed, and, and uh, you know, I went to see him this weekend. Um, usually I just pop in to check on him, and so I popped in to check on him, wish him a happy Father's Day, and uh, showed up at their house and Open the door. I have all the keys to the house. Open the door. The house is all closed up. Nobody's there. I go out. The car's in the garage. I'm like, hmm, hmm. You know, usually they talk to me, tell me what's happening. So I call my older sister. I said, did you come into town, take mom and dad out to eat or something? She goes, oh, I'm with mom and dad. We're in South Dakota. <laughs> I was like, wow. But that's good news. They're up and about, moving around. And, uh, you know, I, I used to have a plaque in, in the bathroom in the old church building uh, behind the mall. And I'd go in there, and it, says, it said, the best thing that a dad can do for his children is to love their mother. And so I was thinking about that today. Not only is it Father's Day, but it's my mom and dad's 60th and 69th anniversary. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so I'm so thankful to my dad. And I know everybody does, you know, uh, you have different uh, relations, different situations. And, and so 
I'm just thankful that, you know, my dad and my mom have been together all these years. He's loved my mom uh, in such a way to be an example uh, to us. Uh, he, he worked hard. He told us if we, we could do whatever we wanted, if we worked hard, he gave us a work ethic. He gave us really honesty and righteousness. And so I just appreciate the things that my, my dad put in us. And, and uh, because of that, hopefully we, we can fill a space sometimes where there's not a dad and begin to put those same things that were imparted into us into others. But it's such a day, uh, people, to honor your, your father and mother. Uh, really, the Bible says is this is the first commandment with promise. So I met a daughter of one of our members for the first time, I think, today. And She'd come, surprised her dad uh, for Father's Day, and I said, well, you get to live long on the earth. And she smiled. I said, that's the first commandment with promise. If you honor your father and mother, you live long on the earth. So we just take this day. I encourage you to take this day. Uh, again, you might have different situations, but to honor, if you say, well, I don't have a, a, a physical dad here, if you have a spiritual father, uh, you can uh, talk to them. If you have a mentor who's been a father type in your life, you can honor them and wish them a happy Father's Day. We honor you. Uh, that, you know, that little short video just showed so many fun things. Dads can be, uh, you know, they can give direction, correction, but they can also uh, be fun. I like what Jonathan said, you know, a living jungle gym. I used to love that with my kids. You just get on the floor. They'd, they'd climb all over you. Um, you know, I used to swing my girls all over the place. And uh, especially my oldest, you know, we use, you know, those Pez things where you, and they just go, whoop, whoop, whoop. I would just take her by the arms and go, whoop, and she'd go all the way over to that side, and then I'd go, whoop, and she'd fly all the way over. I take my grandkids, I'm like, man, I don't even dare do that. I go, whoop, and then they never come back, you know, you just don't, don't ever know. But also just, you know, thankful to God the Father, because probably the greatest, one of the greatest privileges I've ever had in my whole life is the privilege of raising my two girls and watching uh, really what God does in their life as they navigate life and uh, what a privilege to be a dad. So, uh, you know, if you're still raising your kids, never forget what a privilege and an honor God has given you to be a dad uh, and also a mom. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, we want to get into the Word today. We uh, uh, are in a series of messages. Actually, we're going to wrap it up this, this today, and we're going to start a, a new message, uh, a new series with Dr. Avery Jackson. We're going to start talking about the body. And one of the reasons we're doing that is we entered into the year, said how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the oil, the anointing that comes over the whole body. And I believe we're in a time right now that if we understand the body as, as God set it up, that there's a great anointing to come on the body, whether it's a local church body like this or the body of Christ as we dwell together in unity. And so we're going to start that series, but we're ending or wrapping up uh, <clears throat> this series that we've entitled Powerful Power Principles to Shape Your Future. And so last week, you know, the Spirit of God spoke to us and said, this time next year, this time next year, things are going to be different. And God will speak that, but then we have to take that to heart. We have to embrace that. And, you know, we can't let ourselves go, well, somebody said this time next year. We have a part. We have a responsibility to play. And I know in our world today, ooh, geez, don't tell me I have a responsibility. But really, God has set that up. God didn't want to be our fairy godmother and wave a wand and change everything. He wanted to provide things that we could participate in, that we had some investments, some uh, for lack of a better term, ownership in responsibility. Uh, uh, we have, if we respond, he gives us the ability, right? And so uh, our responsibility. So we understand this. If it's going to be different this time next year, then we can't enter into insanity and keep doing the same things we've been doing and expect it to be different next year. But we began to do things different. And so we, we've really formed this message to shape this, our, our foundational text in Jeremiah 29, 11, God said in the midst of a tough situation, in the midst of uh, his people, uh, his remnant being in captivity because of the disobedience of the whole nation, he took his remnant who was thinking, what in the world's going on? We've served God here. Why? We weren't the ones that rejected God. The rest of the nation rejected God. And God said, wait a minute, slow down. I have a plan and I know the thoughts that I have for you. It may look like captivity right now, but the thoughts that I have for you are of good and not evil. They're of a future and a desired outcome, a future and something that you can expect. And so God, no matter what our situation, God has a future 
for us. And if we cooperate with God, we can begin to take these principles and begin to shape our future. In every one of these principles, your future can be directed or shaped in a negative way, or it can be shaped in a God way, a way of blessing, not cursing, a future and a hope. And so the number one, uh, I encourage you to go back to meditate on, to process these things, not to just say, oh yeah, I remember that. Uh, he preached that one time, but to really get it down in your heart, the first one was the power of the seed. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Right now, we are living to some level, by the law of God, living in what we planted. We're living in some level of what we planted. We don't want to say that. We're like, I don't know what happened here. I've done everything right. This shouldn't happen. But God will not be mocked. God will not be made a fool of. What you sow, you'll reap, right? So what do we want next year? Have we seen the plan of God? What do we want? And so do we understand what we sow we begin to sow into good ground, and the ground that embraces that, that we cultivate, will produce 30, 60, or 100-fold, whether it's what we receive in our heart or what we sow by our words, by our resources, or by our actions, we'll reap what we sow. The second power principle is the power of thought. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Thoughts will take you somewhere in your day and in your life. And so, uh, you know, God said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. So we can stay down here at a lower form of thought and just, you know, be like on the, you know, the mice on the spinning wheel and just running. Or we could get off and begin to go up in life and think higher thoughts along with God and see our life elevated to a different place. And so as I told the first service, you may want to pray. I, they had great faith. Uh, I got two uh, power principles in, in in the allotted period of time for first service. And I just want to tell you, two people gave their life to Jesus Christ for service. And so... Um, Praise the Lord. There's, you know, there's a little pressure to perform. You know, when Pastor Tasha comes up and says, what a great message. Well, now, no, we're just depending on the, the Holy Spirit. But, you know, pray for me. This is not what many would probably call my strong suit, but we're going to talk about the power of emotion. Talk about the power of emotion. Amen? And so emotion is we were created spirit, soul, and body. And so you are a spirit. That's how God created you. That's why when he says when man sinned, he died, really he became spiritually dead. The life of God in his spirit, he was separated from the, the, the father of spirits, the life of God. He was separated from that. So he became spiritually dead. You are a spirit, so when you're born again, he comes to live in your spirit. You become spiritually alive unto God. So you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your heart is a combination of your soul and your spirit. Right? It's, it's there. It's so closely connected, it takes the word of God, revelation of the word of God, to penetrate or to show up the dividing line between your soul and your spirit. So, so many times, if we don't have the word of God, what we're thinking, we think is coming out of our spirit. Or in this case that we're talking today, what we're emoting or having emotion about, what we're feeling, we begin to just assume it's coming from our spirit, it must be God. But though powerful, these emotions, even by, by, by that name, just think about it, they, something can trigger you and set in motion a direction for your day. You could wake up just in the shower praising God, come downstairs, and the coffee machine is broken. And all of a sudden, something touches your emotion, changes the whole, sets in motion a whole new, woe is me, the coffee's broken, what's going to happen next? Right? And then you get on that road and you jump on I-70 and you're headed down and all of a sudden you see brake lights, great, there we go, coffee's broken, somebody wasn't paying attention when they're driving, now we got an accident, I'm going to be late to work, and man, your emotion's just... Now you're agitated, you're worked up, things are happening. Such a powerful force to think, man, I woke up expecting good things, and by 12 o'clock, 
I'm agitated. Wow, how in the world does that happen? Forces, the force of our emotions and how God created us is so powerful. So I'll say this a couple times through the message, but, but just to, to start off to kind of ease you because you're thinking, wow, that's, that's a pretty grim outlook on it. But God created us with emotions that in those emotions, they were really, emotions are really to add color and spice and enhance our life. Right, emotion is supposed to do that. I'm a, I, I like sports, and so golf, you know, from when I was growing up, golf was really sometimes something that was hard to watch because, you know, uh, the etiquette of it, and, and let's not be emotional. We're just, we're just here doing this, and so I'll just give you an example. You know, uh, some years ago, you know, you're at the, the, the Masters, and, and it's the final hole, and, the, you know, the guy leading is up there, and he makes a putt. He putts it. He watches. He, he, it goes in the hole. He, he just walks over picks it up, tips his hat. Everybody, that's where we get the golf clap, right? And so not much emotion there, not adding much color to it. But, but all of a sudden, we came on this, this uh, golfer named Tiger Woods. And, and so all of a sudden, he putts at the Masters, and it's rolling. And man, the crowd erupts. And all of a sudden, golf has color. <laughs> golf has personality, Golf is enhanced because it's not just this boring bunch of guys hitting a little white ball around, but there's excitement in it. There, there's a joy of playing the game. And now all of a sudden there's a whole generation of young people who are like, man, the joy of playing the game. I, I mean, winning $10 million at a tournament adds to that, but there's joy <laughs> in playing the game. I mean, just imagine last night, game two uh, of the Stanley Cup finals, and, 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 you know, the Avs win five to nothing, and they skate off the ice. It wouldn't happen, but boy, man, they, they were hugging. They were, at every goal, they were jumping. They were rejoicing. Man, the whole place was lit up. Right? And so joy is an emotion that adds color, generosity, goodness, right? Our desire to reach out to humanity in a way adds color, a rejoicing. You know, even in church, we're like, let's don't just get too emotional. But there's color, there's, there's flavor to life that's added by emotion. Could go the other way. If we, we don't understand them, when we don't learn how to manage emotion, it can add a darkness, it can add a heaviness to our life can make us feel hopeless. But Jesus said this in John the 14th chapter, really I believe addressing this, he said, uh, these things have I spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said, I'm going to leave with you a peace. Not the kind of peace that the world gives because that is circumstantial. That is a peace that when everything is going good, we can have that peace. But Jesus said, I'm going to leave you a supernatural peace that will keep your soul in an undisturbed state while everything around you is disturbing. Come on. He said, I know the power and the, the ability for a, a, a something to trigger an emotion or a feeling and cause you to be troubled, to take your emotions down the wrong way. But he says, don't allow trouble to come because I am leaving you a supernatural force. He said, I know the force of the emotions. God created you. There's a force of emotions that will move you in a direction. We'll look at this in a moment. But Jesus was moved into areas by things that would come in his emotions. He said, it's a powerful force that will move you, but not in the right direction. So I will give you a more powerful force to manage this powerful force of emotion that was sent or, or, or created in you as a color spice enhancement of your life. 
right? And so God, throughout the scripture, we, we, we see, you know, just a couple of examples. God would leave to us how people would become emotional. Uh, David, in many psalms, he would become emotional, but mo- almost every psalm that he's emotional, he's feeling in distress. He's feeling worried or afraid. By the end of the psalm, he has turned to God and turned the whole thing around. All of a sudden, now instead of going like, woe is me, the enemies are against me, all of a sudden he's turned and he's excited and I have victory and you are with me and I have hope and I, now my emotions have turned to expectation instead of doom and gloom. There's a color. There's a victory. There's an anticipation that comes. So God didn't say, just eliminate the emotions. He said, listen, if you'll allow me, I know what to do and what the emotion was created for. The enemy will try to pervert it to take you a wrong direction. But if you'll rely upon me. And so we see the difference in in judges. If you read this story of Samson, uh, there's a place where It says that Samson's soul was vexed. How many of you use that in the beginning of your day when it starts off wrong? I'm vexed. It just really means he was agitated. He was irritated. He was annoyed. And it says he was vexed because of the constant questioning of Delilah about the source of his power. In other words, he began to get depressed. He began to get angry. He began to get anxious. He began to get stressed out because she kept asking him those questions. And he allowed that emotion to overtake him. And he disclosed the source of his power, thereby giving it away. See, if we allow our soul to come under that kind of emotional trouble and distress and think there's no way out, we will begin to release and give up the very source of our power. Back in Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says that Lot's soul was vexed at the moral decay and decline of the culture that he was living in. And God heard the cry from that city and he saved Lot. Likewise, Timothy, as a young pastor at Ephesus, he was troubled because of, of the pagan culture that was around him. He was raising up a church. He was raising up a great church, but as a young pastor, there were people talking against him, despising his youth, and he would emotionally become troubled over it. So Paul, his spiritual father, would write him letters and begin to talk to him about how to deal with that emotional trouble and turn it towards victory. And so in 2 Timothy, his second letter, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul writing to Timothy says, now God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a well-disciplined mind or self-control. So what was he saying? He was saying, now listen, you have to understand this. God has not given us a disposition of fear or anger or bitterness, or sorrow. That is not what we're disposed to feel. That is something that comes from the outside that begins to stir up something. But as believers, God has given us a disposition of love and power to overcome, to capture, and to manage this other Pre, what we think is a disposition, but it is a circumstantial provoking of this godly thing called emotions. So he said this powerful thing, emotion, anger, fear that comes upon you, he said that is not something that you're predisposed to. That is something that's provoked from the outside. But as born-again believers, what you are predisposed to is love. It's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus gave us peace a supernatural force in our soul to to, uh, bring undisturbed access to our soul even when everything is disturbing around us. And so in like manner, he wrote to the Philippian church, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, and he said, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. 
right? So joy is such a great emotion. Joy is such an emotion that adds color and spice to our life. And he says, you just need to have that joy. Sometimes in church, we don't, we don't like those times, joy and laughter. You know, what is going on here? What, what is, what's going, well, people, God somewhere needs to get people to be emotional in the right direction. And so Paul said, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. He said, let your moderation be known to all men. In other words, quit being up and down and all over. And then he said, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't give yourself over to a disposition of anxiety that will begin to control your life and shape your future. He said, but instead, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and this peace of God, this supernatural force that comes into your soul that creates an undisturbed aspect of your soul when everything around you is disturbing, the peace of God that passes all understanding, right? Your emotions want to go off the rails and do whatever, but all of a sudden this peace has come on and brought my emotion into a place where I can manage them so they can be effective in enhancing my life, in enhancing my life, right? So God knows how he created us, and he's given us powerful forces. Though your emotions can be powerful, and you think, my God, I don't, I don't have any control over my emotions. It just took that one word from that person, and boom, we're off to the races. It just took that one thing that wasn't what I expected, and boom, I'm down low in depression. God says, no, that's the enemy. He says, I've given you love, and I've given you peace, and I've given you joy to reflect and to enhance your life. And so, you know, because emotion is such a powerful force, it's such a uh, kind of a volatile thing. You know, in times past, you know, when I was growing up, the generation I was growing up, the key thing was just stuff those emotions. Don't be too emotional. Just stuff those, you know. Men, don't cry. Right? Women, be gentle, don't get angry. Well, that didn't work out too good. Because you know what? Men should cry. There's times when men need to cry. Sometimes there's times when women need to get angry. Now, don't let that go overboard. It's just, it's just a fact. But we found out just stuffing our emotions wasn't really God's plan. We didn't consult God. We just said, you know what? We don't like this running emotion, so just stuff it down, uh, push it down. We found out that didn't work too good, but instead of consulting God, we go to the experts. Now the experts have got us in a culture where we just celebrate feelings. I mean, whatever you feel, right? Express whatever you feel. Identify with whatever you feel. And all of a sudden, we're, we're identifying with what we're feeling. We're expressing what we're feeling. And now it's really being shaped to whatever you feel now is your truth. And that's incredibly problematic because if whatever I feel is my truth, I can never be corrected or challenged. Which means if I'm deceived, I'm in big trouble. And so God said, you know what, if you just consult with me, I have an answer. That your emotion and your feeling are a part of your creation, but they need to be managed and directed into something that's incredibly profitable and prosperous. So Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4. Listen to this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. It tells us right there that Jesus, because he came in the form of man, he took on a body, he took on a soul, and he was pulled at in every area just like you and I are. He's touched. He's not standing back going, why are you feeling that way? Quit feeling that way. He's like, I know why you're feeling that way. I've experienced that emotion before. Come on, listen. Jesus cried at funerals. 
And he danced at weddings. Jesus loved the embrace of someone who, lo- who loved him. And in a moment, he turned around and was rejected and stabbed in the back. Come on, Jesus saw his disciples go out and cast out devils, and he came back, and it says, he told them, you know, he instructed them, and then it said that he rejoiced in the spirit when he saw his disciples getting it. Come on, Jesus says, I know what these are, uh, these emotions do to you. I know how they can enhance your life and rejoicing and seeing somebody benefited can be so great. I also know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to be forsaken. Early in his ministry, the one person who got him and knew what his purpose was, his cousin, John the Baptist, was murdered. When he got news of that, Jesus said, it's time for us to to rest, to get away by ourselves right now. And so he took his disciples to go get away. And as he was getting away, grieving the loss of his cousin, somebody who really understood him when many people didn't understand him, in that place where sorrow could overwhelm him, grief could be a part. He looks out and all of a sudden he saw the multitudes and something changed from this place of grief and what he was dealing with that all of a sudden it says he was moved with compassion. All of a sudden his emotions took a turn. You ever had, you ever been so low and all of a sudden something happened and you're so far up. He said, my emotions took a turn, but where he could have been saying, listen, get rid of these people. I'm mourning right now. He allowed compassion to come and move him. It says he healed the multitude and they stuck around and then all of a sudden he fed 5,000 people. And his cousin, one of his best friends, had just lost his life. And God knows a way to take your mourning and turn it to laughter and your sorrow to joy. He says, I know the range of emotions, but I will give you power and a force that is so powerful to manage those emotions for good. Jesus knows what it's like when when life slams you to the ground, when people talk bad about you. He knows what it's like to be praised and yelled, Hosanna in the highest, and the next week, crucify him. He experienced it all, yet he never lost his focus on his purpose. And even at the end of his life, it said he became so heavy with sorrow that he looked and said, does this have to be this way? But in prayer, he captured that emotion that could get him to sell out and say, I'm going to do this different. I'm so weighted. I'm so depressed. I'm getting out from under this. He didn't. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. He said, we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched. He said, but what I've done is I died for you to open up access. That when your emotions are pulling you out of purpose and making you like Samson to make a decision, I'm so frustrated, I'm just going to make a decision. I don't care about the power in my life or not, the call of God on my life or not. I'm just tired of it. He says, in that time, come boldly to the throne of grace. Obtain mercy and get rid of the shame and the condemnation and the feeling that you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you're not able. Let that wash over you and find grace, God's ability, God's favor, God's power, God's influence to come over you, to capture those emotions and direct them in a way that bring color and enhancement to your life because that's what they're intended for. And the moment we leave that enhancement and we yield and give it leadership and influence, We're in trouble. Your emotions were not intended to lead you or to influence the direction of your life. Your emotions were intended to bring color and enhancement to your life. Jesus said, I'm going to give you help. I think it's the message Bible says that he knows exactly what you're going through. And he has supplied well-timed help. The picture of that help is 
Somebody who comes with a life raft ties it to a sinking boat so that the person on the sinking boat can step over into the life raft. The Holy Spirit is tied to our life that when it feels like we're going down, he's given us well-timed help to step over so that we can release that part of us and set in motion just as Jesus did. Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed many. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus and then immediately was moved to raise him from the dead. Come on, he saw the defilement of the temple of God and it moved him to righteous anger to clean out the sin so that God's house could be clean. There's a moving of emotions to bring color, enhancement, righteousness that is so fulfilling that God intended. Your emotions are a powerful force that will shape your future, either in that will that God has for you or another direction. Now, very quickly, we'll spend, we may have to dig deeper into these in upcoming weeks uh, later in the year. But I want to talk about this last force. It's a powerful force. It's belief. It's the force of belief. For the sake of our conversation, just the few minutes that we have this morning, I want to talk to you about this in this light, that faith and belief being different. Faith not being an end, but faith being a means to an end. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus said something so powerful. He said, anything is possible to him that believes. Anything is possible to him that believes. He went on in many places to say, with God, all things are possible. So if all things are possible with God, and he's calling us to have a belief in God or have faith in God, then we must understand, first of all, that faith can come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if faith comes by hearing, faith can also go by not hearing. Right? So faith needs to continue hearing and hearing to develop faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the proof or proving out of what we do not see. And so it is moving in progression. Faith is growing to a place that it becomes complete. I believe it's Peter says that we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our soul, right? So there's a, there's a beginning and a growing and an end to your faith. And really part of that end to your faith is that saving, that complete aspect of your mind, your will, and your emotions being in that place of total belief in God. And so as we begin to look at that, I know the simple definitions of faith is believing. I don't want to confuse you, but I do want you to understand that when you just say, I believe God, oh, that word, I believe that, that there is a progression of believing. Faith is something spiritual. When we receive that word of God, it goes into our spirit. But then trusting God is something that becomes more emotional. It's of the emotion. I trust him. I, I believe that that word is true. I believe God's always true. But now I have to feel like I can trust it. And once we get our spirit and our soul engaged, our body will begin to follow in action. In action. So belief actually is that acting upon or obedience to God's word. Not just saying I believe because I've heard that, but now I believe I've trusted to the degree that I act upon it. And in that place, something supernatural begins to happen. And so in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And to, him, to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. He ties disobedience to unbelief. If you go into chapter 4, it says that, that they received the gospel, they received the gospel just as we've received the gospel, but they did not mix it with faith. And he goes on to talk about obedience. So he says there's a working of our faith that brings us to an end that is obedience. James chapter 2 verse 20 says, but do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect or that word perfect is translated faith was made complete. He said faith without a corresponding action is incomplete faith. Faith begins by hearing the word of God and it becomes complete when we do the word of God. I know if you're, you're giving, well, I thought we were outside of works. We're not talking about dead works. We're not talking about works that would say, I made it. I'm pleasing to God. We're talking about, I believe God. Therefore, I trust him with my life. Therefore, I can do what he said to do. What he said, I can do what he said I can do. And so here we see that Abraham, he believed God. We see that in Genesis chapter 15. God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. He said he believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. But right here, James is going back and saying he believed God. But what happened? He began to grow in faith. First of all, they had Ishmael. They thought we got the answer. Then Ishmael wasn't it. So then they waited and, 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 and Isaac came and they're like, whew, this is it. But God said there's one more step in completing your act of faith, and that is the very thing that's most important to you, will you trust me with it? And there's a place that will shape our future to say, listen, I'll give God a lot of things, but I don't know if I'll give him this. I've already given him a lot of my life, and now he wants something else. But Abraham so believed that when he took him up on that mountain and raised that knife, It took an angel of God to stop him. It wasn't just God saying, wait a minute. An angel had to come and say, don't you take the boy's life. You're so committed to doing that. I got to tell you, don't do that. And listen, there's a ram in the thicket. And Abraham said, whew. And God said, you have completed your faith. I can trust you with anything. And the Bible never calls that a work of the law or work of the flesh, the Bible always calls Abraham the father of our faith. It was a working out of his faith. Listen to this, John chapter 12, verse 24. Most assuredly, this is Jesus speaking, most surely I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What's he saying? Is he saying, I'm talking to you about this belief, this belief that will allow you to take your heart and lay it into mine. He said, there's a place in your life that unless you lay it and die out to self and allow my heart and my being to envelop that. Just as a seed goes into the ground and the soil accepts it and the soil covers it and the, the nutrients of the soil break that seed open and feed the potential of that to take root and to grow. Even so, when we say, God, I believe you, I will abandon my stuff and I will lay my heart into yours because I don't just say I believe. Now I've gone through my, my spirit into my emotions. I trust you with my life and so I'm acting upon it I'll do what you said and I lay my life in there's something about that that the old man cracks away and the embrace of the spirit to cover that now all of a sudden giftings and and, and graces begin to go down and take root into the life of God you're in him and he's in you and it takes root and draws sustenance and your life now begins to grow out in action with gifts and callings and miracle-working power. Because why? I've truly believed. I've let my life fall into his. It's not about my opinion, and God should do it my way, but I trust him. I'm not saying, God, you should trust me with what you've given me. No, I trust you with everything. And like that seed, all of a sudden we break open, and those gifts and those callings begin to come forth to flourish in action. 
And I'm just telling you, as we talk about a move of God and stepping over a threshold and this time next year and what's going to happen, and we've looked at supernatural activity out here and said, this is a move of God. God is moving right now. The Holy Spirit is on the move right now. He's working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. He is moving right now, doing something, because what we're talking about in these sessions right now is supernatural living. Supernatural living. You can live and just throw natural seed. You can have natural thoughts. You can emote naturally. But he says, listen, I have a power. Those seem uncontrollable, but I have a spiritual force and a helper, the Holy Spirit, that now begins to cause you to capture those emotions and manage them. Capture those thoughts and bring them into line with the higher thoughts of God and capture the seed that's in your life and plant it in the right place. And it's all not of your own ability. It's by the Spirit of God. It's called supernatural living. We look to the outside for supernatural. God always looks to the heart and the inward man. He said, don't discount, don't devalue the supernatural moving of God in your own heart and in your own life because from that, giftings are going to flourish and supernatural things are going to happen out here. Jesus was so intent on developing his disciples into such a belief that when he said, ye have little faith, he didn't condemn them. He didn't put them down. He was always nurturing them. Why? Because he wanted to move them to action. He wanted them to stand up and stop the storm. He wanted them to multiply the food. He wanted them to lay hands on the sick and the sick recover. He didn't want them to just look at him and say, what are you going to do? He said, I want you to believe so much in me that the works that I do, Greater works than these will you do also. I want to motivate you to action. And the only way to do that is for you to fully believe and entrust and put your heart in my hands. Now I'm going to close. Mark chapter 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, I I need to take a breath. Just trying to finish here. Uh, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. What is it saying? Is everyone who believes will start doing something supernatural. And he says, once he got that point across to him, he ascended into heaven. And what did they do? They got busy. They went out and preached the gospel. They went out and spoke the word. And he said, listen, because you believe me, because you're enveloped with me, I go with you wherever you go. And when you speak my word because you believe in it, I'm right there to confirm it with signs following. Come on, God's moving us to supernatural living. That which we're looking for, if we don't allow him to supernaturally change us and form our life from the inside out, we'll be always desiring to see something out here. But there's something that goes on in here that we're like the reality of it has already taken place. So I believe that I can reach out and through my emotion and through the compassion and through the caring and through the power of God, touch someone else's life in a powerful way to bring color and to bring spice and to bring enhancement to someone else and the kingdom of God to come alive like never before. Instead of being the golfer that putts and tips his hat, we are the one that say, yes, God, yes. We're the ones that celebrate and rejoice and say, look what the Lord has done. Come on, we're going to be about sowing seed, thinking godly thoughts, having our emotions managed in a way that they enhance our life. And we're going to believe to the point we put it all, our heart in his And watch that seed break open like never before. And our lives begin to produce fruit and be transformed in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand up with me? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you, God. You're so good. We worship you this morning. Holy Spirit, teach everyone. We went over this so 
so quickly, but I believe that you have the power to take it, to expand it, to expand the capacity on each one of us where we feel like we don't have the capacity to handle the emotions when they go crazy. We don't know if we could give our life. No, we can't naturally, but that's you, Holy Spirit. You help us. You increase our capacity. You show us how you can manage if we'll allow you our emotions, how you can take our life and envelop it and cause it to break open and begin to produce fruit like never before. So I thank you for ministering to every heart, to every life as only you can do, taking your word and making it alive and actively working in each and every heart, in each and every life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, in first service, there was a few people who said, you know what, this is my day. I don't really know everybody who's here all the time. If today you're here and you say, I don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life, that is really the very beginning of laying down your life to accept his and really beginning to capture and manage the emotions that come into your life is by him being a part of your life and helping you. But the most important thing is the sin that's been controlling your life and the condemnation breaks off and you're able to now enjoy a fellowship with God because you become a son and a daughter. He draws you into relationship. He breaks the very thing that kept you out of relationship, draws you unto himself, calls you sons and daughters. If you're here today, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I'd love to pray with you. If you raise your hand, say, I, know, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I, I need him today. I, I recognize I need him to help me in moving my life forward in the future that God has. Just raise your hand. Raise it up high so we can see it. We want to pray with you. If you're here, don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We'll wait just a moment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, you all can look up here. Apparently, everyone is saved, born again, made Jesus the Lord of your life. If you haven't and you came with somebody, you just say, I... I didn't feel comfortable raising my hand. Today is the day of salvation. Just grab someone, ask them, say, you know what? That was going on in my heart, but I, I just didn't you know, feel comfortable. Grab somebody and tell them today really is your day. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. He just wants you to know him so personally and intimately. We want you to know him personally and intimately, not going another day being separate from God. Just grab somebody, say, you know what? If you don't understand it, grab. There will be people up here, altar workers, just come up and say, I'm not sure I understand that salvation, and they'll explain it to you. So today, you don't leave without knowing Jesus personally and intimately. Amen? Say this, we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a